Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I just got my workout in. Uh, it's great to see you all. Man, what a great uh, time to worship the Lord through song. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at a little teaching of Jesus that I've always found interesting, and my hope is that it will shape your perspective. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you, and, and uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. And, man, I cannot get this microphone straight this morning. Uh, man, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. And so there's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me. We're doing a series called New, uh, and then we're going to tra transition uh, into a series that's going to go along with our small group. So I hope you're considering that and praying about that. If you've never been in a small group, I want to encourage you to get in one uh, in a couple weeks. And we're gonna, that's going to be a big highlight in our service. Uh, you know, we're coming off the holidays, uh, and there's, there, there's a holiday movie, a Christmas movie that uh, I always, uh, that's on TV usually uh, around Thanksgiving that I always feel the need to sit and watch a little bit of at least, and it's, uh, uh, it's the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and I would always encourage you to watch the TV version, but uh, you know, it's, it's the story uh, of two guys trying to get home for Thanksgiving. From They're traveling from New York to Chicago. Uh, one is a stuffy businessman played by Steve Martin, and the other one's kind of a, a dim-witted, boisterous man played by, by uh, John Candy, and they end up kind of traveling together, and, and one of my favorite scenes is, is where they have rented a car in the middle of the night and accidentally merged on the wrong side of the highway, so, so they're traveling the wrong direction at about 65 miles an hour, and finally another car kind of pulls up alongside of them and lets them know that they're, they're going the wrong way. And I always love that scene. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch it together. Check this out. He's going to kill somebody. Hey, what's going on? Some joker wants to race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on, let's go, let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot.
you're going the wrong way, right? And I love when, when John Candy answers, well, how do you know which way we're going, right? And, and I, you know, I think about that, and I, I love that scene. I love that movie. Um, but it's a great question. It's a great reminder. You know, I think a lot of times when, spiritually speaking, uh, we're kind of barreling through life, and, and, and at moments we kind of stop, and someone wants to yell out, you're going the wrong way. Sometimes I think God does it to you. You're going the wrong way, and our, our answer or our response to the God of the universe is, well, how does he know where we're going, right? And, and the truth is, he, he knows exactly where we're going, and, and the truth be told that that all, sometimes it's not until we go through a difficult circumstance or a tragedy strikes that we pause long enough to ask the question, which way am I going? Am I going the right direction? And it takes a, a kind of a, our car kind of barreling between two tractor trailers for us to kind of slow down enough and ask the question, am I really going the right way? And so my hope here this morning is to, to kind of be a pause in your week and be a pause in your new year and say, hey, listen, before this new year kicks off, let's, let's make sure we're going the right direction. And in order to understand if we're going the right direction, we got to make sure that our perspective about our lives is broad enough and, to, and big enough to cover all that's, that's going to come our way. And, 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 and I'm, I'm trying to avoid it being the tragic situation that makes us pause and go, man, am I going the right way? In fact, there's an interesting um, little story that we're going to look at. I've always loved this, this passage of Scripture um, where Jesus is, is kind of asked a big picture question. And, and, and before we unpack it in Luke chapter 13, I want to I want to give you a little bit of the context of the question. OK, in Bible times, it was generally accepted, a generally accepted worldview that if you went through difficult times, if there was tragedy in your life or something going on that, that everybody would look at and go, man, that's a really difficult time, that generally the worldview was is that there was sin in your life and you were being punished for your sin. Now, I'm not saying that's a good worldview or a true worldview. I'm saying that was generally the accepted worldview of the time, okay? And so the passage we're going to look at here this morning, you have to understand that's the context that's the thinking of the people that Jesus is addressing. So that's kind of the worldview context. And then there's the teaching context. Okay, so Luke chapter 12, Jesus just got done teaching about his second coming, and he got done teaching about how his ministry was actually going to divide families. There's, there's going to be in some families, there's going to be some people that journey with God and, and journey with Christ, and because of that, they're going to make other family members uncomfortable, and so not everything about his ministry is going to bring peace with everyone. There's actually going to be times where he brings division vision, not intentionally, not because he's a divisive God or a divisive Savior, but because he does draw lines in the sand on truth and lies and things have to be accepted. And so in, in that context, Jesus is teaching and someone rushes up and says, hey, Jesus, did you hear about this tragedy that took place? Okay, so Luke chapter 13, I'm actually gonna start reading in verse one. I think in your handout, it picks up in verse four, okay? It says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And the question's asked, do you think those Galileans, in other words, the ones that were murdered, were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? And Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus asked, is that why... Uh, uh, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the, the uh, 18 people who, who died 
when the tower in Shalom fell on them? Were they, were they worse sinners in all of Jerusalem? And Jesus said, no, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Now, in this context, I always go, gosh, I wish Jesus had said a little more because the question's kind of the problem of evil. It's kind of the, man, why do bad things seem to happen to good people? And I always wish Jesus would have given us a little bit more. But there is a couple of very important truths that I want to extract from this teaching of Jesus this morning. And I hope that it will give you and challenge you and shape your perspective. I want to give you the right perspective with which you need to live in 2015, okay? And the first thing I want you to see is this. Our time on earth earth is limited. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, your time is short. And when he's, and when he's asked the question, like, Jesus, hey, what, who was the worst sinners here? Jesus is like, you, you're, you're living with the wrong focus. Your time on, here on earth is short, and you think you have a ton of control over a whole lot of things. Like, you, you, you think you have control over your finances, and you think you have control over your retirement, and you think you have control over all your relationships, you think you have control over all your health. But I'm here to tell you, there's, he's, very, he's saying there's very, very little that you really control. And so Jesus says, listen, there's, your, your perspective's wrong. You better focus in on something that's of ultimate importance. You better, your focus better be on what really matters. And what really matters, what's, what's your relationship with God look like? Some of you are here this morning and the truth is God has been working in your heart and, and you've been kind of running from him. You've been kind of doing your own thing. You're going the wrong way, if you will. And you're yelling back, God, how does God know where I'm going? But, but in your heart, man, God's doing something. God's stirring. And I want to challenge you, what is taking you so long to repent? And we're going we're gonna to deal with that word in a minute and get right with God. It's taking you so long. Hebrews chapter 3 says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get straight with God. And Jesus here, I think, begins by addressing this whole idea of you, you don't control, you have no idea how long your life will last. No idea. And you, you want the right perspective. You better be right with God. And, 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 and the culture that we live in, American culture, man, we're, we're kind of told like you kind of control a lot of things, Right? We, I'm kind of fighting this whole American dream thing, and I think there's some great qualities to the American dream, but, man, there's some detriment when it comes to spiritual things because, man, we, all the stuff we're fighting again, like Jesus is like, you think you control so much, and really the truth is we control very, very little. And so Jesus says this starts with the right perspective that you're not in control of, of as much as you think. And so then Jesus says, listen, here's what you can control is you're getting straight with God. You need to repent. So this tragedy comes up. Jesus just got done talking about his, his second coming and, and this tragedy comes up. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus says, here's what I think. You don't control all that much, so you better repent. You better get straight with God. And by the way, what, what does it mean to repent? You know, let's, let's park here for a moment. Let's talk about what it means. It literally means 180 degrees. It means you're going this way and you repent and you go this way. Okay, you, you change. So you're doing things your way. You're going the wrong way. Okay, God, you're right. I am going the wrong way. I'm going to change. I'm going to repent and I'm going to go your way. But, but I think there's some things I want to spend some time on. And by the way, I'm going to throw a little side note out. Pastor Joey, um, he, uh, he's working on his doctorate, and he just wrote a phenomenal paper on repentance. And I know he'd be happy to share that to you. If you're interested, you can email him, okay? But the first thing is it's a, it's a spiritual awakening. 
Repentance is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life where, where your heart is being warmed and you're being convicted and you're being, hey, there's things going on spiritually in my heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a great story in John chapter three where a, a religious leader comes up to Jesus and he says, we know you're, he, he dresses Jesus as a good teacher and, and Jesus kind of addresses that. And then, <clears throat> Jesus, and then Nicodemus kind of says, well, what do we got to do to have a relationship with God? What's that look like? In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus, a repentance is a, is, a, is a spiritual thing that opens your eyes to spiritual things. If there's a spiritual nature inside of you, the Holy Spirit works us over and opens our eyes. So if you're here this morning and God is working on your heart and you're being convicted of sin and you're being challenged to walk with him, like that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And what a great thing that God's Spirit is working in your heart and changing you and remolding you into the image of God. It's a spiritual awakening. Number two, repentance is a changed mind. It's a changed mind. If you're going to repent, you got to you got to change your thinking on some things. You got to you got to think differently about your time on earth. That's why I'm trying to give you a new perspective here this morning, or probably a renewed perspective. I, I want to I want to change your thinking on on your purposes on the use of your talents, on the use of your resources. I want to change your thinking on what is and isn't sin and disobedience to God. Christianity is to think differently about Jesus Christ. I don't know what your thoughts are about the person and work of Christ, but in John chapter 14, Jesus said this, verse six, Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Maybe you're here this morning and you needed to hear that. You needed to change your thinking. Jesus said, if you want to get right with God, I'm the only way to be right with God. Jesus didn't teach all roads lead to God. That's what our culture teaches. And it's a lie. And we've got a culture that's buying into that lie. At least according to Jesus, it's a lie. Jesus can't be just a good teacher because if he is, he's very exclusive on his teaching on the ways to God. And so some of you here this morning, you need, you need to repent of your thinking of what Jesus, who he is and what he taught. He said, I'm the only way to God. You need to have a change of mind. To repent is to have a change of affection. And I got, I um, had something really kind of weird happen to me this morning while we were singing, man. I, that's that third song. I was overwhelmed with God's grace for a few moments. I was like, how am I going to preach? You know, I got to get myself, to get my junk together here, you know. Because my affections are warm to the gospel of Christ. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the, by the grace and the mercy of God upon Sean Brown. And our hearts are warmed and our affections are changed. It's, uh, to repent is to have a, a sense of remorse and, and, to be, and to have a sense of being sorry for our sin, man. We don't just gloss that over. Like when we, when we disobey the holiness and righteousness of God, there is a, there's a weight to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul writes this in verse 8. Paul writes, man, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, but I know it was painful for you for a little while. Let me pause here for a minute. What's he talking about, okay? Um, and by the way, 
Um, I hear this a lot, like, you know, people will, re <coughs> will read Acts chapter 2, very early section of Acts chapter 2, the very birthing of the early church, and it's an awesome passage, you know, of just how the new believers shared and had everything in common. And a lot of us go, man, we just got to return to the early church, okay? Can I just say this? The whole New Testament is written because the early church was a mess, okay? It just had all kinds of problems. And so, and so you, know, we should, you know, I love the Acts chapter 2 portion, but after that, man, there was a lot of teaching and instruction need to go on. God used the Apostle Paul to teach instruction. So the first letter that Paul wrote was... 1 Corinthians, and, the, and, and 1 Corinthians was actually written because there was a guy living in sexual sin. He was having sex outside of marriage, and the church was actually celebrating it. Like, oh, this is great. We can worship God in gray. We have so much grace. We can do whatever we want. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians. The whole purpose of the book of 1 Corinthians was to teach this church about church discipline, actually, and talk about how you deal with sin in the church body. And so 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually rejoicing because the church had dealt with it. And now he was teaching his church how to restore this man to be part of their fellowship and part of their body. Does that make sense? And so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, man, it made me sad to write that letter. I didn't want to have to write a harsh letter to you. He goes, I love you all. Now, okay, look at, uh, look at the next verse. He says, now uh, I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Uh, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what, church? Salvation. Results in something way bigger than you feel sad for a little while. For the kind of sorrow God wants to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow which lacks what, church? Repentance results in what? Spiritual death. So in other words, Paul says, listen, if, you're, if you feel sorry for sin, but there's no change, then you just feel sorry, and that leads to spiritual death. And so when Pastor Sean is teaching, or you're reading your Bible, and there's a conviction of sin, and if you just feel sorry, then that's not the kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. Your affections need to be changed. You need to go, man, not only do I, do I feel bad about my sin, I hate my, like, I don't want to, I don't even want to journey that road again. And I'm not saying we never mess up in our, in our journey of sanctification. We do, but man, every time we do, man, there needs to be a grip of like, ugh, I don't want to go back down that path. And we're repulsed by our sin. Our, our affections are changed and we hate our sin and we love the righteousness of God. Repentance. Paul, Jesus said, listen, <clears throat> I make it simple for you. Repent. It's a change of affection. Fourth thing is, it's a change of obe it's a change of obedience. Repentance is a change of obedience. Now listen, church, I want to be clear. I'm not I'm, you know, you can't divorce obedience from the gospel. This is not behavior modification, okay? I'm not telling you to be good. However, okay? There is a close connection to really understanding the gospel and our behaviors change. Very close connection. It's an overflow of the gospel. 
It's changing our obedience. It's changing how we treat others. There should be a change in our homes. If you understand the gospel of Christ, if you've repented, there should be a change in how you treat our spouse and treat our children. There should be a change in how we use our talents to serve God. And I'm going to talk really practically here at the end of the sermon. Uh, you know, there's a change in, in our, uh, the words that we use. And so Jesus sums up some important things here, and he, he's asked about the important things of life. He says, listen, you've got to understand life is short, and, and there's something bigger going on here. Something bigger than collecting stuff and saving for retirement. He says, we're preparing for eternity. He goes, I want you to change your perspective. You're preparing for eternity. And so you better repent or you too will perish. Now, is he talking about physical death here? No, because every, if we repented, if the answer was, then, then you get to live forever and ever and ever here on this body and this earth, he, he'd be lying. He understands we all get a first death. And if you remember last week, I talked about this. I said, the Bible talks about two kinds of death, right? There's physical death. That's part of the curse of sin. I love this morning. This is what got me when I was thinking, man, the curse of sin no longer has a hold on me. Now, I get the, the bodily death. That's part of the curse of sin. We're all going to die physically, but there's two kinds of deaths that the, the Bible talks about. There's, there's physical death, but there's spiritual death. And the curse of sin for a believer no longer has a hold on them, right? Now they're not free to worship God, but the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of me. So guess what? The grave doesn't have final say over Sean Brown. Glory to God, all right? curse of sin doesn't have its hold on me. And so there's a second death. And so well, I'm trying to get you here this morning to think much, much bigger. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to say, repent, because there's something bigger going on. You two will perish. And church, I want you to live with an eternal perspective. And if there's one thing I've noticed in all my years of ministry is that when someone is caught in sin, you know what they get? They get really, really short-sighted. They usually can't see past that day. They're stuck in sin and they're worried about all these things. And the idea of repenting and turning for God, they, they just can't see any bigger. But a mature person and, and a spiritual person, a spiritually mature person steps back and they zoom out and they see the bigger picture. And the more mature you are in Christ, the more you step back and you say, you know what? My life's much bigger than even just, the, even just my lifetime. It goes way beyond that. I'm able to zoom out and see eternity. And church, I want you to have an eternal perspective. Because the psalmist writes this about our lives. He says, You've been, you, uh, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime, man, it's just a moment to you at best. Each of us, just a breath. I want you to have an eternal perspective. We have this, we have this short season of life to make an eternal difference, to have an eternal impact, Okay? So let me give you a couple so what's about this. I want to challenge your thinking. I could, I could give a hundred illustrations this morning. I want to just give a couple. If you're a parent and you're bringing up your children, your goal is not to make sure your children just have a good education. Is that important? Sure, it's important. I talk to my kids all the time about their education. I talk, I talk to them frequently about their future and their job. And, you know, I want them to grow up in a good community and I want them to make a good living. But I'll tell you something, I, I spend a lot more, I'm way, way, way more worried about their eternal future. Way more worried about that. Pastor Joey 
gave me a quote this week from a pretty well-known uh, author, pastor, and teacher, Francis Chan. He said this about parenting. He said, uh, too many of us are, are, are worried about preparing our kids for the next 10 years. Instead, we should be worrying about preparing our kids for the next 10 million years. I want to share a story with you, and, and um, I do it with hesitation because uh, it makes me look like super Christian dad, and I'm not. I, I make plenty of mistakes in my parenting, okay? And uh, I'm not perfect, and by God's grace, my kids will hopefully grow up to know him and walk with him, okay? It's, it's the grace of God. But my son had a uh, basketball game in New Kent a couple weeks ago, and uh, so it was a long drive home, right? And so we're driving home, and there's all kinds of things I could have used that car ride for, right? We could have talked about playing time, you know, we could have talked about basketball, uh, we could have talked about education, we could have talked about getting a good job, we could have talked about girls, we could have listened to some good tunes, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of things. And for whatever reason, I just felt this prompting in my heart, and I looked over and I said, hey, what do you think it means to be a Christian. That's the preacher's kid. I know he's heard it a gazillion times, but I just wanted to hear him talk about it, you know, and he, he talked about it, and he got done, and, and for the rest of this car ride, like, I, I um, you know, I got to, um, I got to explain to him the gospel, and it's, it's terrible being a preacher's kid, because you, you get the whole thing, man. You get it from, from Genesis all the way to the end, you know. You get the law, and God's holiness, and the need for redemption, need for Savior. I gave him all that, and then I talked about, you know, how this has to be, it's also a kind of a heart thing, and you got to be a worshiper of Christ. He's got to be Lord and boss of your life, you know, to really be a Christian. And, and then I looked at my son and said, do you, do you believe that? And he goes, I do. And then he asked some awesome questions. And the rest of this car ride, man, we talked about the gospel, you know. You kind of go, I hope that's sinking in kind of thing, right? Last week, he came home from youth group. This was super cool. He came home from youth group. It's like, Dad, guess what, man? In my small group today, we talked about what it meant to be a Christian, and I got all the answers right. I was like, well, okay, we're making some. But it was just cool. I was like, whoa, he's listening, you know? And I was humbled by that, and it gives me pause because I'm not preparing my kid for 10 years from now, I'm preparing my kid for 10 million years from now. And it has everything to do with what he does with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I look at the Christian community and I'm like, man, we're, we're taking this responsibility far too lightly. And I'm going to tell you something, parents. I've had many, almost every year, my kid, my one kid plays a lot of sports. And almost every year, I've got to have a communication with the coach. And it's, and listen, it's competitive. I get it. And if he doesn't show up to practice, I get it. He doesn't get playing time. And all this kind of stuff goes on and on and on. I get it. But every year, i got to have a conversation with the coach. Like, listen, you got to know this. My, our youth group is a pretty high priority. And we'll try to work the balance. But there's going to be times where he's going to leave practice earlier, maybe not come or whatever, and all that's come, and, I, and we just have that conversation because whether or not he can hit a baseball or kick a soccer ball or do a backflip doesn't really matter in the grand scope of eternity. Doesn't matter. I'm preparing for 10 million years. I'm talking about teenagers for a minute. I got teenagers, okay? I get it. Not every moment do they go, whoo, I can't wait to go to church. And they're the preachers because I get it. But we hold church and Bible study and youth group and attendance to those things, we hold them at the same level as we do his education. You don't get to come home and go, I didn't like it tonight. Too bad. You're going next week kind of thing. 
Why? Because it's some tools to prepare my child for 10 million years from now. And I know I'm pushing pretty hard, but man, we got a fantastic youth program. We got a great children's program. Now, are they the end all be all? No, they're not the end all. You actually, you as parents are ultimately responsible. Bring your kids up in the ways of the Lord. You better be doing that at home as well. But man, these are tools for us to use. Why? Because man, I'm not preparing my child for, for a week from now or 10 weeks from now or 10 months from now or 10 years from now. I'm preparing my child for 10 million years from now. Eternal perspective. My marriage. My marriage. My marriage is not simply about a person to make me happy. My marriage, if it was about happiness, my wife would have left me a long time ago, okay? She's got the bad short end of the stick, I can assure you that, right? It's not about her being happy. My marriage isn't necessarily even about, hey, we made some commitments, man, and we're just going to stick. Like, you know, it's not even about that. In our marriage, we step back and we go, man, this is about what are we doing with our lives that will make a difference 10 million years from now? See, this is about legacy and heritage and about commitments that you make, promises you make to the Lord. We have a, I've actually preached on this verse before years and years ago. I did a small little series in the summer called My Favorite Verse, and this was one of the ones I preached on Psalm 34.3 is a, is, a, is a verse that my wife and I adopted before we got married. Psalm 34.3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Our marriage is about bringing worship and glory to God as often as we can throughout our days, throughout our weeks, throughout our months, throughout our years to bring honor and glory to God because we zoom out and we go, hey, this is a bigger thing than even our season here on earth. And our work about work? I mean, what's work got to do with internal perspective? Work's got a ton to do with internal perspective. Do you know that? It's not just to make money. It's part of it. It's not simply, do I enjoy this or not enjoy this? I work with my hands so that I'm not a burden to others, so that I can provide for my family. I live as simply as possible so there's financial margin to store up treasures in heaven. The Bible has a ton to say about work, actually. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians, check this out, it's evangelism. Do you ever see your work as evangelism? Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I, I'm not going to preach a sermon this morning on how we've become a culture that depends on the government to provide everything rather than our employment and our God. Okay, I'm not going to preach that sermon. First Timothy 6 says, tell them, he's talking about people who are wealthy. And by the way, I know most of us say, well, I'm not wealthy, but actually uh, compared to the rest of the world, you're in like the top 
10%, okay, so I'm, probably everybody here that lives in Yorktown, Newport News, we're in that category, okay. First um, Timothy 6, Paul says, tell, tell them, meaning the wealthy, to use their money to do good so that they should be rich in good works and generous. And, and by the way, Paul's not condemning wealth. He's just talking about how to use it. Uh, generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, man, you will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future. What future is he talking about? 10 million years from now. So that they may experience true life. How about church? Let's talk about church for a minute. Church in the context of big perspective, big picture, right? Church is not some box that I check to make God happy. It's not a religious duty. I, mean, I sit there and I've endured a sermon. I've endured, man. I mean, he, oh, he was stepping on my toe. I felt uncomfortable today. Okay, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. One of, the, one of the things that's really hard for me, I start talking about the church and the bride of Christ, and I look out, I, you know, I kind of sit in a different seat than you guys. I look out, and I get, get to see the congregation. I see your faces, and I know your stories. I'm going to get emotional. I get overwhelmed. You're the bride of Christ. That's an awesome thing. I'm wowed by his church and by you all that, get, that are part of that. Church is the bride of Christ, a community of people who love one another and cherish one another and serve one another, and they fight for unity. Why? To honor Christ and honor his bride. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul writes, instead, man, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Listen, if the gospel sunk deeply in your heart and you understand how much you've been forgiven, we can't help but extend forgiveness to one another, walk together in unity, serve together in community. Church is the bride of Christ. It's not a checkbox. It's not a religious duty. In fact, thinking big picture 10 million years from now, that the church is the place where the truth of God is passed on from one generation to the next. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. He says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God. Check this out. Which is the pillar and the foundation of what, church? Truth. Did you walk in here this morning going, hey, I'm, I'm going to the place where the, that, that eternally, spiritually speaking, is the pillar and the foundation of truth that's to be passed on from one generation to the next. Did you walk in here with that mindset this morning? That's what the church is. Like it's big, like it's so, so, so my part in it and hopefully your part in it is like, man, I want to be a part of serving somewhere and ministering somewhere and plugging in somewhere because this whole thing that we're doing, this, this, this thing, it's not, some, it's not some organization out there. Like we're a part of it and we get to be a part of passing on the truth of God, the gospel of Christ from one generation to the next. And church, if we don't do it, the gospel will go into extinction here on planet earth. The church is the foundation and the pillar of truth. Isn't that amazing? We get to be a part of that. You worship here some 2,000 years removed from the gospel of Christ because churches of people got together and said, we're going to make sure that the truth of God goes from one generation to the next. Zoom out and see the big picture. Man, I could go on and on and on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spare you, okay? But I want to give you a new perspective this morning, a big perspective. It's bigger than just your time here on earth, man. Zoom out. Say, God, how does my life make an impact for 10 million years from now, according to your word? How many of y'all remember um, 
Well, let me say that the date was September 11th, 2001. Remember that day? Anybody remember what the lead story in the news was that morning at 7.30 in the morning? Anybody remember what the lead story was? Unless you're shaking your head now. I remember it. Man, I remember it big time. You want to know why I remember it? I am a huge Chicago Bulls fan. A huge Chicago Bulls fan. Went to school in Chicago while this guy named Michael Jordan was playing basketball. And he had retired from the Chicago Bulls. He said he was never going to play again. And Michael Jordan that morning had announced that he was coming back to play basketball with the unimaginably the Washington Wizards, okay? And, and, and during his press conference, um, I was pretty sure that he had been abducted by aliens because Michael Jordan said, I'm coming back to play for the love of the game. And I was like, the Michael Jordan I know never didn't play for the love of the game. He played for championships, okay? So I don't know what happened to him. And so, and like, what, and the thought of this guy this, that I loved watching the basketball, like getting, getting embarrassed by younger athletes, it was just more than I could stand. And I was about to write these very important points in an email to a friend of mine. We were going to commiserate together about this awful thing that was happening. Michael Jordan playing for the Washington Wizards when some airplanes got hijacked and started slamming into buildings, right? And America was under attack. Suddenly my, my perspective changed. And, and suddenly the stuff that I was all knotted up about at 8 o'clock in the morning didn't really make any difference, right? Here's what I want to happen here this morning. I want to challenge you here this morning. It's 2015. Step back. Live with the right perspective, there's some stuff that you're knotted up about this morning, and I want to challenge you, man. You're knotted up about the wrong stuff. Step back and say, man, it's not about 10 years. It's not about 2015. It's not about 10 years from now. It is about 10 million years from now. And what's going on 10 million years from now? It's about eternity. We sing it in amazing grace, right? When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we, what, church? We're singing about eternity. And I want to encourage you, man, there are some bigger things going on around you. And as you mature in Christ, you will zoom out and you will see the big picture. Jesus reminded us in Luke 13, no, I tell you, that unless you repent, you will perish. Have a new perspective for 2015. Have an eternal perspective. Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we are a part of something that's bigger than we can even imagine. God, I pray for the one in this room that is been far from you and you're working them over in your heart, in, in their heart, God, and they're, um, they're being drawn to you. I pray that today they would bow a knee and they would repent, they turn from their ways and pursue you. Because, God, we're, you're, you're doing something bigger than we can even imagine. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you for eternal perspective. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Church, uh, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I just want you to know we're not after your money. This is just one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. And uh, so don't feel any obligation to give. As a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you inside of that bulletin as a connect card or a tear-off. If you'd fill it out and drop that in an offering basket, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning, you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone, we always have our prayer team members. They'll be standing up here at the front in just a moment. And, uh, man, they'd love to minister to you uh, and pray with you on your way out. Now, I told you guys this will be the last installment here, but I wanted to give you one more update. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Alistair was here, and he gave us the $100 challenge. He gave out $1,200 over the course of our service, and uh, each service he gave, out, he gave out, I think, $400 per service and challenged us to be generous, and I just wanted to give you some of the stories and the updates of how God used that in our body um, to bless others. So this is the Alistair's $100 challenge. Watch this video. Hey, my name's Noah, and uh, I've been coming to Coastal for about three or four years now. And uh, when I went up and got the money, I wanted, I felt the need to go out there and help those that are less fortunate than I am. You know, and uh, when I had gotten the money, my mom had told me about this family where it's a single mom and she is dying of cancer and has five children. So I, well, next time she saw her, I gave her the money. And when she gave it to her, she just started crying. My name is Amanda Rowland. Um, I'm 21. I'm a senior at Christopher Newport University, and I've been coming to Coastal for about a year. So I decided to accept the challenge because I started thinking about the work that I do during the summer. Um, I'm a summer camp counselor at a camp for kids with special needs called Camp Holiday Trails. And um, we take kids from all over the eastern coast, eastern seaboard, and give them the summer camp experience that they wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. So these kids have cerebral palsy, spina bifida, some of them have autism, diabetes. These kids are unable to function in a normal traditional camp experience. And as soon as he offered $100, I knew that that would send a kid to camp and give them the experience that changed me and has changed so many kids through the 30, 40 years that we've been around. I have been praying so hard about going back, graduating and not knowing whether it was the right thing for me to do, was to go back or not. And as soon as I saw that picture, I knew that it was and speaking to me that I was, it was God telling me, this is for you and you need to do this. Hi, my name is Sharon Garino and I've been a member of Coastal for four years. I have a local friend on Facebook that I've known since elementary school. And back in October, she began a group on Facebook called Val's Angels. Valerie is one of those people that lives to help others that are in need. I decided right then and there that I wanted to gift her with Alistair's $100 and I wanted to match the gift. I made arrangements that evening to meet up with her. As I prepared to leave, my husband handed me another $100 bill saying that he wanted our business to also match Alistair's gift. I shared the story with Valerie and obviously she was blown away by the $300. Isn't it amazing how contagious a generous spirit can be? Hello, my name is Breland Jenkins, and I'm in sixth grade, and I'm 11 years old. I'm not really sure what went through my mind when I went up to get the $100. I just thought that it would be good to help other people that didn't have as much as we did. Bought care for an orphan, I also bought a family fishing kit, warm clothes and shoes for people who needed them. I also bought medicine and emergency food. So I think that's it. Thank you.
All right, that's awesome. We just want to dismiss you. Have a great day, Coastal. We'll see you next week.